Good morning. If, if we haven't met, uh, my name's Tony. I'm Campus Life Pastor over at our West Campus, and it's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, I wonder if, if any of you, like me, have encountered something completely unexpected. I suspect that's all of us, right? Sometimes there are things unexpected that, that uh, I'll give you one example, a simple example. I'm on my way home with my family from an event. This was about two weeks ago. We were coming back from a wedding and we're on I-94 making our way back to the Fargo-Moorhead area and all of a sudden there was a deer in the road and I hit a deer. Unexpected, right? Um, there, there was something, if I go back a year, there was something even more unexpected. For me, uh, my job, a little over a year, about 13 months ago, uh, my boss came to me and said that as a result of the things that have come about as, as a result of COVID and, and the rules that were in place, they were gonna have to downsize and my job was being cut. That's unexpected. And the following day, I got a call from Jeff Seaver here at Triumph who said, I, I wonder if you'd be interested in coming and having a conversation with me. We've got a pastor's position open. And within, a, within six weeks, I found myself with a call letter to Triumph, equally as unexpected, right? What happens is we often get things that are unexpected, but the most memorable ones fall into two categories. Either they're unexpected because they are not good, or they're unexpected because they were awesome. Right? The unexpected stuff, like the deer that pops out on the road that you don't run into, those we kind of easily forget about. But, but the ones that are really good and the ones that are not so good, those we remember often for a long time. Our text today from Acts chapter 16, as we continue in this series, uh, our text is full of things that might have been completely unexpected. Let's get into our text. This comes from, uh, from Acts chapter 16, and it begins at verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia... When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Okay, I'm going to stop here for a second. For, for, forgive me, because I'm ever the social studies teacher that I was 20 years ago. That I can't shake. I, I, I'm gonna, I, I brought a map. So I, I'm going to, maybe you can't see this. But what happens when Paul and his group leave and head into Asia Minor, they want to go north into Bithynia, to the north, and, and 
Phrygia, you know, when you can't say something in the Bible, just, just say it confidently and then everybody will go, oh, that's how you pronounce that, <laughs> right? So he's heading in these places and for some reason the Holy Spirit won't let them go where they expect to go. They wanted to go into the area that, that Romans called Asia, which was the northern part of Asia Minor. That's where they thought that's where we gotta go. And, and then that doesn't work. So then they're gonna go um, kind of north and west up into Mysia, and that's not right. So they, they keep going. Troas, where they end up here at the end of chapter, uh, verse eight, Troas is at least third on the list of places they expected to be. But isn't it interesting that Paul doesn't do what I sometimes do, or maybe you have caught yourself doing this. Lord, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. Oh, I'm not supposed to do that. All right, well then I'm just gonna sit here, Lord, till you tell me something else. That's not what Paul and his companions do. Paul and his companions try and go north. Nope, that doesn't work, so they turn to the northwest and they keep moving. Trusting that God's got a plan in all of this and I'm gonna keep moving. I'm not gonna go where he tells me not to go, but I'm not gonna just sit here and do nothing. And they find themselves at Troas, which if you can't see it from back there, it's on the shore of the Aegean Sea. And they get to the sea, and I can only imagine they might have wondered, uh, okay, now what? We're kind of, we can't travel any further without a destination. And even though we're not told how God has directed them not to go to these places in the past, we are told how they get the next word from the Lord and it begins in chapter nine, or in verse nine, I'm sorry. During the night, they're here in Troas, during the night Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. Macedonia is northern Greece. Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel there. And so from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went on to Neapolis and from there we traveled to Philippi a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia and we stayed there several days. We're gonna stay in Philippi for several minutes right now because there's a couple of things that are worth knowing about this city. We're told two things in here. We're told that it's a Roman colony and that it's a leading city in Macedonia, that area of northern Greece. I think often I have misunderstood what it meant to be a Roman colony. It's easy to, for me, I think, oh, well, yeah, it's a city in Rome, so it's, it, Rome is occupying that, so it must be a Roman colony. But in, in Roman history, that meant much more. 
In essence, what it meant is that Rome had annexed, if you will, the city of Philippi. So that if you were, if you were a citizen of Philippi, you were a citizen not of the Roman Empire, you were a citizen of the city of Rome. Even though you're living over here in northern Greece, you're a citizen of the city of Rome, which made Philippi the perfect retirement village for people who had been in the Roman military, for people who had had positions of high authority in the city of Rome. They could go to Philippi and still have all the benefits of Rome. It's like you want to get out of the hustle and bustle of the big city, but you'd want all the benefits of being a citizen of Rome, go to Philippi. I'm going to say this. I don't think Philippi would have been my first choice of places to go. Clearly, it wasn't Paul's first choice. Um, by the way, we're not just camping in Philippi for a couple of minutes here this morning, but when we're done with our ACT series, after Labor Day, we start a new series and we're gonna, we're gonna study the book of Philippians, the book that Paul later writes to the church whose birth we're gonna read about today. So stay tuned, more on Philippi coming up. So here they are in Philippi in northern Greece. It's not an area where there's very many Jews and you're gonna see, they're gonna look for where are people gathering? People without a synagogue to gather in. Well, they're likely to gather outside of the city and probably near water someplace. That's where we go on the weekends, right? So let's read. On the Sabbath, we, notice that we, Luke now the author has joined Paul and Silas and the others. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected we would find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me to be a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. I'm not sure, did, she, did Luke here mean she persuaded us that she was a believer in the Lord or that she persuaded us to come and stay in her house? I suspect it's both. But here we have Lydia, a woman and a foreigner. She's not from Philippi, she's, she's from Thyatira. She's, she's an outsider. She's just there for the flea market. Well, I suppose that's not quite what it was. She's a seller of purple cloth, which was high-end goods. 
Purple dye was hard to come by. She's a merchant and a successful one, it seems. And we don't know if there were other converts in Philippi, but it's interesting to me that Lydia is the first one that's mentioned. Not what I would have expected. But they gather there in her home and they stick around, they linger. In the presence of another believer, they stay. And then there's some events. I'm, I'm gonna skip through. We just don't have time this morning. This is, there's this wonderful story that comes next in Acts chapter 16, which is the story of a, of a young girl who is demon-possessed. She's possessed by a spirit of divination, meaning... She can tell the future. And when Paul and his companions encounter her, they cast out the demon and they free her from demonic possession. And there are people that are capitalizing. In a sense, she is being trafficked, if you will. And now they can no longer use and make money off of her gifts. And so they swear out a complaint against Paul and his companions and they throw him in prison. And where we're gonna pick this up is that night that they are in prison. Again, this is quite unexpected. Jump ahead. Verse 29, that, I'm sorry, before verse 29, we're gonna pick it up at 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them like they had a choice, right? Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken and at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. In that time, a Roman soldier on guard, if those under his charge left or escaped, the punishment was death. So he was gonna save himself the humiliation, probably pin it on Paul and his companions. That might've been his thought. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I don't think he meant what must I do to be saved from my superiors who aren't gonna like this. Because he likely heard the music as well, the singing and the truths that Paul and Silas had been preaching. And Paul and Silas replied to him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then 
They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to the others in his house. And that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house. The house probably was adjacent to, maybe even connected to the jail. They brought him into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Would you have predicted the Philippian jailer? Would you have predicted him being the next one who he and his household come to Christ? Not any of the other God worshipers down by the river that they saw earlier that week? See, in in Philippi, we find this incredibly unexpected collection of people. They're they're from various places. They're they're an unexpected gathering of Jesus' followers. I, I mean, think about it. It's a Greek city full of Roman citizens. And a group of people in a Greek city full of Roman citizens worshiping a Jewish Messiah in the house of a female foreigner, merchant. And this worshiping group is led in part by a Roman jailer. What what an amazing group. It's not the place or the people or the leaders I would choose. And yet, one thing is abundantly clear. This gospel of Jesus Christ is for them. God brings these unexpected people to himself first in the city of Philippi. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you're in the same category as Lydia or the Philippian jailer. Maybe you feel like, I don't know. I don't know if this gospel would be for me. Maybe you feel like if, Pastor, if you only knew my background and my history, you wouldn't be so quick to tell me about this gospel. Maybe you're here thinking, I'm an outsider. I'm, I'm a foreigner. I don't, I, I don't belong in this place. <laughs> Maybe you feel like I've just been on the wrong side too long. But, but you see, the message to you is the same as the message to the jailer and to Lydia. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Not believe about, but put your belief in Let what you believe be encapsulated by Jesus. 
And notice they don't tell him, believe that there was a person named Jesus. But the word Lord is critical here as well. Believe in the Lord, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Let your belief be that God is, that, that Jesus Christ is Lord, is the one who leads, the one under whom I submit. The message is the same. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you, like the seller of purple from Thyatira and like the prison guard, you will be saved. Perhaps the most unexpected thing of all is that the gospel is for me and that the gospel is for you. It's unexpected perhaps, but it's good. It is so good. Will you pray with me? Father God, oh, we can't begin to say thank you enough for your grace and your mercy and for the fact that this gospel is for us, that the, the price you paid was was for me and the, the death you died was for us and that, that even for people on the outside like, like Lydia or the Philippian jailer, this gospel message is for us.